everybody. Welcome to the I Can't Help You podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Danny Conroy, your host. I'm joined here in the studio today by a friend of mine, uh, Rob Meltzer. Hello, Rob. Hello, Danny. Uh, Rob is a special needs educational consultant and therapeutic placement specialist. He has evaluated and visited hundreds of schools Mm -hmm. and programs throughout the United States. He's a frequent flyer. He's a therapist, certified education planner, and full member in good standing of the Independent Educational Consultant Association. He is a certified gestalt and expressive therapist and has completed 400 hours of training with Southwest Association of Gestalt and Expressive Studies. In the past, Rob has been a teacher, school principal, wilderness program director, therapist, and university professor. He holds a BA in natural sciences from the University of Vermont and a master's of arts in counseling and psychology from Prescott College. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Danny. Super glad you're here. If I knew you were just going to read it, I would have really embellished it. (laughs) Well, that was all by heart. Rob thinks I read it, but I actually didn't. I had memorized it before I came in. well, Rob, uh, so welcome. Rob and I are friends, and, and you know we're friends that are bad friends, we've decided. We don't really hang out, but we like it when we hang out, right, Rob? Absolutely true. Yeah, so it's good to see you. Well, maybe we had to just create podcasts for us to be able to hang out. There you go. There you go. Um, so, Rob, tell me a little bit about the work that you do. You know, tell our listeners, I know about the work you do, but tell our mm-hmm. listeners a little bit about the work that you do and kind of what excites you about the work, the work that you do. Hmm, what excites me? You know what occurs to me to say is is why I'm an educational consultant because you know to this day that is what excites me, and the reasons that I got into consulting I think are probably different than most people. I was I was actually out on a wilderness experience with Naropa University. I was guiding a course called the Psychology of Wilderness Experience, and we had all the students out on um, out on solo. And I was walking in the woods and I I had an epiphany and I realized that in my heart of hearts, I'm a computer geek. So I'm out there. I did not expect you to say that. (laughs) In my heart of hearts, I'm a computer geek. (laughs) And and, and that lives right side by side with my wilderness guide. And um, in, in that moment, I realized, yes, I absolutely love guiding people, but I want to create this database of programs of wilderness programs. Um, and, uh, and that's really where the educational consulting got started, was out there in the woods. Mm. And that combines with, I think, my love. I think a long time ago, I realized that um, my work in the world, it just seems to be that people come to me during the colder, darker times of life seeking guidance. And in that moment, I had kind of an epiphany of putting it all together. So the joy for me is in the helping to find the trail at that difficult time in a person's life when they just don't see the path forward, they, they don't know the way to go, come to me and I'll help you find that path forward. So that turned into finding programs and, and being in the private pay residential placement world naturally. But that's where, that's where it comes from. And to this day, that's my passion. I, I don't see myself as somebody who's a search engine for programs and helping you to find a good program. I, I see myself as a guide. 
That's amazing. And do you, when you had that epiphany, were you aware of educational consulting as a field or was it kind of like, oh, this would be a good idea? <clears throat> no, uh, I'll go ahead and tell you the story that I don't tell very many people. No, not at all. I thought that I had a completely unique new idea that I was going to build this database yeah. and I was going to be this resource for people. And I even got all excited out in the middle of the woods and I, I picked up this stick that represented, you know, I'm a, I'm a Naropa woo-woo guy. So yeah. I picked like up- your staff? My like a, staff. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. And I declared before the universe, <laughs> I am going to do this database and I'm going to do this project and, and I'm committed to it. And I went home and every day, day after day, I was staying up to like three or four o'clock in the morning writing this database. You know, I had some skills and I was working my computer and trying to make this database and trying to get it up online. And it was 1999, so it was the middle of the dot-com era. Yep. So I had this dot-com idea and I was going big. <clears throat> like four weeks into the project, I realized, yeah, I have some skills, but not really. Mm. And I have absolutely no cash. And actually, there are people out there that have <laughs> online databases and they look really cool. So I kind of tabled the whole thing. Yeah. And then, oh, you know, a week or two later, I get a call from this guy, Bill Cole. Hmm. And Bill Cole is the guy who put Peterson's guides, the college guides. Oh, yeah, I remember those, yeah. He yeah. put Peterson's guides online. Okay. And he called me and said, hey, Rob, I'm working with this guy, Ben Mason. And we're doing a project called edfinders.com. And we're building a database of programs. And we I just got Mason to listen to the show finally. Thank you for bringing him up. Oh, yeah, there you go. And, uh, Thank you, Rob, and for I listening. don't know why, but I thought of you. And I think you'd be a really good guy to help us with this project. So, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, that, the hair on my neck stands up. And I'm like, what in the world is this? This is some weird stuff. Uh, you must be checking my mail or got a, you know, spying on me or something. It's like the book's falling off the shelf, right? But, you know, yeah. to me, it was just evidence that when you make a commitment and yeah. you really mean it, that the universe does really deliver. I actually really believe that. And I that do was, too. And that was my most clear evidence in life. So next thing I know, I'm flying to Burlington, Vermont, and I'm going to Ben Mason's house with Bill Cole, and we're meeting on this dot-com project. And that is really how I got exposed deeply to educational consulting. That's so awesome. That's like right around the same time that I started Aim House. So it's sort of like 1999, there was something in the water going on in Colorado, I think. And, I think uh, so. Yeah. And so here we something are. It's pretty on. exciting. So for somebody who doesn't know what that is, because in our world, we're like educational consultant, we get it. We kind of use it like it's normal. What, what is an educational consultant? If somebody has no idea what that is. And I know there's several different types. Could you give kind of a elevator pitch to let people know what that sure. is? Sure. I mean, it, it, I'll give the broad and I'll give, you know, more personal to me. Uh, the, I think the way I'll respond to your question is, um, first of all, you know, for anybody that's going about looking for any kind of private pay, residential program, school, resource, I think the internet is a particularly scary place. The more I get into the work that I do, the more I realize that the information that's out there is you know, horrifically false, like horrifically false. It's, 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 you know, there's a lot of really bogus stuff. Um, so I fear for anybody that goes into, you know, that search on their own. It's like going into a dark and ugly forest with absolutely no knowledge. And you're talking, just to clarify for people, like parents who are looking for help for their kids, looking online. Generally. Exactly. Yeah. You know, my kid is struggling. I want to find a program and you go to the internet 
I really, I feel it, it's that's just not a that's not just a pitch for educational consulting. There's really a lot of bogus information out there. The world of, of programs is is wacky, and um, you know, I don't think that there's a lot of people that are trying to do bad. Right. You know, that's a myth that there are people do. You know, but no, people generally mean well. But I. I think a lot of people don't know what they're doing. They have poor, bad business models, and so, uh, so you know, the consultant is is going to be your guide uh, through the the world of, of of programs. And a good consultant isn't just going to be a search engine for programs. They're right. going to do a good job at matching you and your child to the right resources, and then they're going to stay with you and follow up and make sure you get a good result and advocate for you and problem solve yeah. for you. Yeah. So that's the broad. Yep. Yep. I think for me, especially anymore, <clears throat> I don't see myself so much as just someone who's going to help you choose a program. I see myself as a guide through the process of change, transformation, and growth. Mm. And I like to tell people, um, you know, programs are tools. Mm. And, and just like a, a hammer does not build a house, mm-hmm. you know, the, you can buy the best hammer in the world, you're not going to get a house. Right. You need to know how to build the house. You need right. to use the hammer. And so I see myself as someone who's going to help you use the tool. Sure. So it's not just choosing the tool, it's using it. It's how do you go about making positive growth and change for your child Yeah. Yeah. or for yourself? What, what do you think, you know, w- one of the things that we're hearing a lot these days and everybody has different opinions about it is, okay, kids are more messed up today, meaning <laughs> right, there's more issues today than there's ever been before. And certainly we see more anxiety and depression reported at least than we have before. And it's certainly part of our vernacular now. And, and the opiate problem is certainly not unknown to people at this point. So but I think the general vibe is like there's more problems today People are, their mental health of young people is more in jeopardy today. Do you buy that? Do you think that that's true? Is that your experience? How, how long is this podcast? <laughs> do you think it's worse today than even like 20 years ago? I have 30 several years ago? responses to you. My, my cynical response to the question, why do we see so many more messed up kids today? It's because we have so many more beds to fill in therapeutic programs and so many more therapists and people that are selling sickness. And I actually do think that the, we are, as a culture, selling sickness, we're promoting sickness, we're advertising sickness, we're making a lot of money off of sickness, and I actually do believe that's one of the reasons we're seeing so much sickness. <clears throat> I believe that um, un, un, you know, not intentionally, I'll talk about my peers. You know, I'm 54 years old, I grew up in New York City, and I look at my peers, and I, you know, many of them... Their belief was, I want to get my kid into a really good college. That's going to make, if I can get them into the Ivy League, you know, that's my job, and, if, and it's going to make their life better if I can get them into that club. In order to get them into that club, it turns out this is very real. you got to get them into the right preschool at age four. And in order to do that, you got to get them tested. So you get your first test at age four. That means you might get your first diagnosis at age four and your first professional and your first medication. Even though you have no medical or psychological or there's no reason to actually do that other than to we're get doing this the, to get yeah. you someplace 20, 18 right. years we, from we now. We didn't see a problem and took you to the doctor. No, we but just we created one to... So yeah. by the time they get to me, you know, in their teens and young adult years, they've been serviced. You know, they have doctors and therapists and tutors and they've been medicated 
And the intention was to give the kid a leg up and to help him out and get him ahead of the next guy. But inadvertently, what these parents have done is removed all the obstacles from the kid's life. And without obstacles, you don't have challenge. Without challenge, you don't build, you don't grow, you don't develop, you don't get strength. You don't get grit. You don't get grit. So here we are in the year 2018. Now these kids are 17, 18, 19, 20, and they're going off to really good colleges. They go to MIT. They go to Duke. I got I got a Duke client right now. I got a, a, a Stanford client right now. Both of them, have, you know, bailing out. They can't do it. Um, so they're getting into these enormous schools, but they just don't have the grit. They don't have the life skills. They don't have the ability to do it. So I think, you know, there's, the, you know, I love this term snowplow parenting. It used to be helicopter parenting, right, but right. now forget hovering. We're just going to clear the way, clear the trail, just remove all the obstacles. And I don't think parents realized what they were doing. So I think this is a cultural phenomenon, an epidemic that is causing this, you know, failure to launch thing that we are seeing in spades. And yes, I think it's very real. I think it's a cultural problem. And I also, um, I'm gonna talk about uh, the problem with diagnosis. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see us uh, moving away from an insurance-driven sickness uh, a model for treating and helping people that are struggling. I'd like to stop calling it sickness and, and involving um, the medical side of things. Um, and I'd like to move more towards wellness and ask the question, how do we uh, make our kids well? Um, because I think parents are so terrified that there's something wrong. Right. And if you're always focused on the, the, what's wrong, you, you don't get anywhere. You right. can solve everybody. You know, you can solve a kid's problems and take care of everything that's wrong. And you're still sitting in the exact same place and you've gone nowhere. Right. You know, right. so probably better to go forward and get somewhere and meet a goal, even w with a little, you know, Problems. Absolutely. Right. So. Well, I mean, I think you know, the whole thing with the whole thing with problems in general is that I think as a society, we are completely addicted to there being a problem. Like we create problems where they don't exist. And when I when I say that, I, I don't mean that there aren't issues going on, but if you really kind of look at the whole thing, like like let's like I've said this on this show before, I'll throw it out there. I say Trump, okay. Um my personal opinion guys insane would rather have another president. So I'll just leave it at that, park that over here. <laughs> On a metaphysical level, I think he's actually the manifestation of shadow. And Trump has been there all along. Oh, yeah. Our culture has been that way all along. The darkness you see with racism and greed and all this other stuff, the good news about 2018 is the shadow is exposed. So now the question is, what are you going to do with the fucking shadow, folks? Because are, are you going to accept that it's there or are you going to go back to your whitewashed Pollyannic view of the world that only supports your particular worldview, nice. i.e. Boulder, Colorado? Nice. Right. So, you know, and then and then that translates in so many other areas, as I see it, is that I love what you said about problems, because really, since I've been doing this work, the first thing I say when I sit down with the kid is what's right with you. And almost to the person, they cannot answer that question. I know. And that makes me sad. I feel sad that I can't answer that question. Or the next question is, what do you want to do? The answer is normally what I can't do or what I'm prohibited from doing or my challenge is. I've even had kids recently in their first conversation with me. I say kids, young adults. In their first conversation with me, introduce themselves with their diagnosis. Oh, it happens all the time. And that's sad. You are not your diagnosis. I don't even care if you have a diagnosis. <laughs> 
If you got it, that's your hand. What are we going to do? <laughs> and I know I oversimplify it, and I know I'm a that's simpleton, and I'm a hand. caveman, and I'm not clinically trained, but it's like I truly believe in my heart that our job in this field is to connect people with who they are. Yeah. And that's a challenge. Yeah. That's a huge challenge. Connect them with who they are. It's not about making them into something as much as removing away the layers that aren't them. <clears throat> This is related, and I think you're going to appreciate it. Do you know Bruce, Bruce Tift? Oh, of course, yeah. He's, he's my therapist, but yeah. He's been on the show. He's actually been on the show. I love Bruce, he's and I'm now remembering that you are the person that introduced me to Bruce Tift. And I'm sure you've read Already Free. Already right? Free, yeah. Already Free. Greatest so book I ever, everybody. Bruce Tift, Already Free. Go so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give you a little plug, Bruce. So, yeah. You know, what I love about Already Free is that he says... Total acceptance. Yeah. Total acceptance. Yeah. That's the you know the Eastern path, the, uh, the the Buddhist path is total acceptance, and it is what it is, and there's nothing wrong with it, and just as it is right now in this moment is perfect, and if you can get there to that total acceptance, then beautiful. Yeah. You are good. But the Western approach is we can make it better. Right. And so fix if we can. It. If right. we can get to, it, he says both are right, which I love. Yeah. So total acceptance right. is wonderful because I'm fine just the way I am, and then I can make it better. Right. And that's the gravy, he right. says. Right. That's all gravy. Sure. Uh, so I love bo- I love that. that I we do can too. Do both. I do total too. Total acceptance and let's work on ourselves and get better. Absolutely. Let's but do both. but we're not as human beings. My view, anyways, that we're not we're not. They really changed. No, like this idea, that person changed. They did, really? They were born perfect. The world fucked them up. And now we're bringing them back into some sense of what they normally are. And then we call that change. It's just a way of looking at it. It's like, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like we celebrate babies so much, right? Like babies born and it's great. And like people, baby and oh, and all this hope and all this stuff. And it's just enough to be a baby, to be a baby and be an infant. But the minute they start to walk and do anything, we start attaching this value stuff to, oh, good job. Job? Why the hell is walking a job? It's like this thing. but And it's all well-intended and we all do it and we take pictures and all this stuff. But we start to bring kids into this world of of, of meaning and labels and performing and doing. And that process of becoming a human doing rather than a human being gets kicked in right right away right and and i don't know how we it's just the awareness of that that i like to raise because i do it too i'm a father of four i i do it i hey good job i really like that you cleaned your it's like (laughs) you know but taking that time to be like i love your essence i have a couple comments i want to make on that um i'll start with the last one hopefully remember to go to the first one um just when i have parents that are going to do a uh a visit to you know at wilderness or at a program, sure. what I tell them is um, it's really important to notice the change. And I'm, I am going to tell you that I believe in change. Um, notice what's new or notice, notice what's there. And instead of saying, good job, right. tell them what you notice hmm. and tell them how it feels. Yeah. You're looking me in the eye and connecting with me, and my heart feels more open and connected to you. I yeah. feel love. Yeah. You know, that's so much more meaningful the, for the kid than yeah. good job. Right. They, they're, they're, what, what one is saying, I see you. I see you. I yeah. see you. I see you. I acknowledge you, yeah. and I like it. And yeah. I, this is what I feel. And I think that's not only validating, but it's healing. And yeah. It, and it connects. And, but and, I want to make sure to say, because 
I believe in the total acceptance and that a lot of what our work is is helping someone realize there isn't anything really wrong with you. You're fine. It's okay. And you don't have to change. But I want to make sure you know I believe in change. I believe that we can um, develop new neural circuits, that um, we can um, uh, learn new skills. Things can come online that weren't there before that can improve our lives. Totally. And I just, you know, I know you believe that or you wouldn't be in the work that you're in. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, it's, you know, I name my podcast, I Can't Help You for a Reason. Well, I was going to ask you what the name is that I suspected. We'll get into that in just a second because I really, I do love talking about that, especially with people who do similar work. I I feel, um, I agree with you completely and it's semantics. It doesn't really matter. I think my thing about change is that I have I don't like looking at human beings myself and others as self-improvement projects because I wow. feel like that gets back to the thing we were saying about problems. In order to improve and in order to change for me, then I have to assume that something's a problem, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. So my belief in problems actually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, which just to have myself feel like I'm a human being of value, I have to have something I'm solving something I'm improving, something I'm doing. And I'm completely, and I, my personal belief is this comes from the world of good and evil. This is from some bullshit story that you bit out of an apple. Sorry, I'm probably offending a lot of people. But you bite <laughs> out of an apple and that boom, there it goes. You know, we had infinite choice and that was it. But the, we introduced this, this idea of good and evil and that, that, that everything becomes polarized on that. Good, bad, black, white, Republican, Democrat. If we look around, everything is duality. And uh, we can't even handle a third way. You'll say I'm a Christian or I, I'm either believe in God or I don't or I, you know. And so that kind of, I do think that people, their behaviors change and then they, they appear very differently than they were before. But I guess the only semantic argument I would make is that that's actually who they are. It's not, who, they weren't the person who showed up as a junkie on the couch and like couldn't function. They're actually a, a human being in a spirit that... Uh, you know, I lost their way. Couldn't agree more. And I love that, you know, uh, one of the most important things I've come to understand in my life is that almost always both are true. Right. And there's there's poles. And both, and. Both, both and. Both <laughs> and. And if we can hold both sides of the pole. But I want to tie up something that I said earlier because I think it'll lead to the name of your podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking about these kids who get the professionals early on in life. And yeah. I think one of the results of that that I find to be one of the saddest things in our culture is that from an early age, kids, at least in the wealthier neighborhoods and some of the, you know, circles that I travel in, it, it, the kids are uh, what's the word? It taught and cu- it's it's part of their culture from an early age that somebody else is going to tell them what they need. Mm-hmm. Exactly, the expert, <clears throat> the expert. And right. you, be- if you, if that's been happening since you were four years old, you don't question it. Right. And I'm, I'm, I find there to be a great uh, uh, absence of like. F you teenagers. I'm, I'm looking for them now. Right. Where, where did they come to, go? Come to my house. They're here. They're around still. They're... <laughs> yeah. All right. I, yeah, wanna, I had breakfast I with one this morning. I just need some of that energy because the kids that I'm getting these days, they're like, tell me what to do. What am I supposed to do? Who am I? Where yeah. do I go? What's yeah. wrong? What's the solution? Right. And so 
I'm just amazed by it. So something that I care deeply about is that we start teaching kids how to listen to themselves, how to trust themselves, how to find their own intuition, their own inner guide, their own inner healer. Um, you know, because don't come to me to tell you where to go or who you are or what you need because I can't help you. But the whole society, I totally 100% agree. Totally lob that up for you. No, <laughs> I totally agree. But the whole society basically is programming children, all of us, to do that. Exactly. Grades on what you did, critiquing your writing. And I'm not talking about grammar and stuff. I actually believe in grammar. I like to see better writers. Kids have a hard time writing today in my experience. But... The idea of what your thoughts are, that they're your own, and that there's not a right or a wrong. My daughter just went through this process of the college essay, right? And she's been a good student and says nothing to do with me. It has to do with her hard work. She's, she could be accepted a lot of places. She's done really, really well. My other son is like, fuck college. I have no desire in that. I'm starting a T-shirt business, you know? So it's like both are okay from where I sit. But my daughter... She's writing all these essays, and three or four different people are evaluating the essays, including a hired educational college consultant that we decided we needed for no good reason. Sorry. Mm, hope you're not listening. Anyhow, <laughs> she goes... <laughs> I she love go my college consultant. Right. And, and actually, they were good. But the whole thing, the whole thing is, is that the, the process of reviewing this essay, which the first one she wrote was from her heart and where she was and who she was, and... It got edited, and I'm not sure how this college would look at that. Blah, 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 blah. Fine. You take all the feedback, she changes, she turns in something that eventually she can live with, and she's there. But the process of that to me is why would you want to go to a college that wouldn't read your essay and appreciate who you are, and you're either a fit or you're not, or whatever? Right. And it's just, we've just programmed, we've just programmed people that their validation is only coming from out here. And I think that that's. At the crux of it, to me, that's the dilemma. I mean, it comes back, all the other behaviors are out here, but at the end of it, it's like there's not a core for young people to go, like, this is my truth, exactly what you were saying. This is where I stand. This is my peace. Because we're evaluating and we're judging from the second they can walk. Right. I, well, Or even the rap guard. Or, you know, it's like, oh, how, what did your kid get on app? It's crazy. Or how much did they weigh? Or how? I don't know. Well, you said it at the beginning. We usually don't lack for things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we usually agree with each other. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, what is, I mean, you know, I, I look at all this and I guess what my mind goes to, it's like we could identify all that and sort of agree that oh, we do too much of that. But as a society, like, where are we going? How can we impact that? How do we positively impact that? Or how do you feel like you positively impact that? Well, thank you for asking, because that's where my attention is. I actually have decided that I am making it my cause um, for children to be listened to. And I do things in my work to listen to the kid. I actually listen to him. That's the one thing that I do. I actually really like listen. And I'm, I'm sure they appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> like, and I listen to the parents too. Yeah. And I do a really thorough intake interview and I consistent and I reflect back and I, I say, this is what I see. This is what I heard. And I consistently get feedback like, wow. Like, why didn't anybody else, like, mm. ask me those questions? Mm. And, and it amazes me. How can you be a helping professional without listening closely? But it seems to happen a lot. So number one, I'm making a point of listening for real. That's huge. <clears throat> um, at, at, uh, in my, uh, with my clients that I'm working uh, with at the, towards the end of a therapeutic process, mm -hmm. I've developed something that I call... 
the taking stock. And mm. what I say to the parents is, look, your kid's gone through a therapeutic program. They've learned a ton. Hopefully they now know how to meet their needs better. They've learned a thing or two about who they are. So let's take stock let's, and let's, let's have your child be thoroughly heard is my term. And I create an experience for them where they make a presentation to their parents and I make the parents listen that's cool. and reflect. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, super I cool. want you to be thoroughly heard. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking, you know, that's one area that I'm, uh, I'm doing it. And then um, something that I uh, have been dreaming up for several years, and I think you and I have talked about it a little bit, is um, I have this concept of fire tending. Um, and, and the idea is that, uh, we create little circles like groups, communities, uh, you, you know, circles of healing where, um, there are like-minded individuals, adults, um, who have had, you know, have had, I call them initiatory experiences. You know, they have done their personal work and they have a sense of who they are and where they stand in the world. And, you know, that we... We just create these spaces for a couple of reasons. One is to listen to each other and tend each other's fires, um, but also to welcome young people who may be coming back from a treatment experience or a wilderness experience or a spiritual experience, and just to create these. Um, With both elders in the community, like so not just an aftercare group for that group of right. kids. That's right. Awesome. The idea is it's to have elders idea. in the community. It's yeah. that kind of concept yeah. that there are people in the community that you can call on. Johnny needs to be seen. Yeah. Johnny needs to be listened to. Let's right. get a group of elders in the community and listen to them. That's a phenomenal Not a idea. therapy group, right. not restorative justice. Just right. Well, just what we kind of naturally used to do when our communities were dependent well, upon it, right? Exactly. That's yeah. what it's supposed to be. Yeah. That that's cool. That's really cool. Well, anyway, I could ever be part of that. Let me know. Well, that's my hope. Fireside. Fire, mm-hmm. what do you call it? Fire tending. Love it. Let's Love tend it. each other's fires. Let's yeah. listen to each other. That's super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, what, what books inspire you? What do you read? What are some of the things that have inspired you in the last year or two? I always like to turn people on to information. If you, or, oh, I'm not geez. much of a reader personally. I'm a music guy, but... What have I read lately? And I'm blanking the uh, book that I just pulled off my shelf um, that uh, was a game changer for me in life. Uh, just actually was looking at it this morning. Synchronicity and the Art of Leadership. Hmm. Joe Jaworski. Profound cool. book. Really? Um, yeah. A little bit more than I'm going to be able to review here, but uh, you know, really goes into what the concept of synchronicity is, how deeply interconnected. It's not just are. a police record. Good. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> Love that Sting grabbed onto that. I love the word synchronicity. Um, and more related to our field, a book that um, I think is really important. I encourage everybody who's working. Uh, in the therapeutic world, should uh, should read Dan Siegel's uh, "The Neurobiology of We," yeah. and I, you know, I struggle. I mean, because I don't like rock stars in the field of psychology, and right. I don't know Dan at all personally, but he's a rock star in our field, and he I, I kind of don't like that. Right. But man, neurobiology of we is an important read. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way, like with the with the whole rock star thing, and part of it's jealousy for me, right, and then the exactly, other, and then the and then the other, but the other part of it is, um, you know, I look at it and I'm like, where those universal messages kind of come in, and the fact that you're able to kind of, the the art of being able to 
get into the mainstream with some stuff that's not necessarily mainstream thinking. Like I think Brené Brown did the same thing with just yeah. being able to show up in a way that really struck a chord with people saying stuff that as I read it and listen to it, it's not earth shattering. Like it's not, it's been part of my own work and doing it and working with others, but figuring out a way to phrase that, that it reaches more people. Well, and so Dan I applaud Siegel. that. Like, Dan Siegel says it so beautifully. I can understand it. And I just thank him for, for getting one other book. I'm uh, right now, three quarters of the way through a book um, called Designing Your Life. Oh, wow. And um, that's a concept that I love. I, I talk to my clients about, let's design a life that's worth living. Yeah. You know, let's yeah. not do treatment. Let's right. design a life that's worth living. Right. You know, and then you'll get out of bed. And, and, and that's what we're trying to do here. That's I know the that's whole what, deal. That's what you're all about. So, trying to. So this designing your life um, has t- takes the principle of design. Yep. Like if you're a designer right. and you're like, you know, working for a company, you need to design a widget or a... Right. A product. Yep. How does a design team work? And it takes the concepts of design and applies it to a person's life. And it's pretty cool. I love that. I love the idea of combining some of that with your attending to the fire piece too, because it's actually that's a kind of a I don't know. Well, wheels are, are spinning. We'll those talk are my more about things. That. Designing your life and tending your fire. That that's if awesome. If you want someone to help you design your life and tend your fire, I'll, I love it. Um, you wanted to talk about. The name of the podcast for a second. Do you want to come to that real quick? Before I, well, we... I just I just lobbed it right up. You. you... Oh, that was the lob. Okay, <laughs> here the... I come to hit it now. Okay, okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, I was a little late to the game. Put the ball back up. Throw it back up. Here's uh, the lob. Yes, okay, I do. Thank you. So, so the whole idea really is that obviously I try to help people. I mean, that's like kind of what I've made my whole life about. Is like at least trying to to my whole thing for myself is like try to leave the kind of you know leave things better than I left it, cause less harm, maybe maybe give people the opportunity to leave the world a little bit better in my own little way than I, than I came into or what I got. That's basically it. Like, so I try long time ago, I went through a bunch of really hard times in my life. I was a trouble kid myself. People who know me know that story. And basically after being suicidal and going through all this other stuff, I had to figure out like, what is worth living for? Right? Like, why do I want to live? What's worth living for? I thought, well, if I could help people or create opportunities for people, that that seems to be worth living for. Like, if I can actually make someone else's life better, that seems pretty good. I knew I didn't want to work at a desk. I knew I didn't want to produce things that hurt the environment. I knew, like, all of these other things. But I didn't know what, you know. So then I... Then I got into this whole thing of helping people. And that became kind of addictive in itself. Like I had a fair amount of charisma. I could connect with people. I'd get some feedback from people like, you helped save my life. Well, that's like a drug to someone like me. It's like, oh, my God, I'll save their life. Do more. Create a house. Do all this stuff. Make it big. Do all this stuff. And then I was super, super miserable. Not because, Not because people weren't necessarily being helped sometimes, sometimes not. But like what I did realize is that I can never completely predict who's going to quote unquote take the help. And people who come in and seem to really want it and the families are on board and all this other stuff seems like a perfect fit. Sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. And it was really hard. We've done our best to try to figure out when it works really well, what do we do? And can we try to do that on a regular basis so people are more likely to choose that? So you do that and you create consistency and da 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 and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm really well aware of that at the very best that I can possibly do is create an opportunity for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And if they have the opportunity to see something, the opportunity to do something, that's the best that I can do. And there was a grieving process with that for me, just realizing that, no, I can't push it. I can't. There's nothing more I can do than actually create that. It's, a, it's an important responsibility. I can't say I have nothing to do with it. I say, no, I got to put the best team on the field, hire the best therapist I can, 
create places like Made Life and the Collegiate Recovery Center. Try, try to, to give the best opportunity to do that. But whether somebody steps through that archway or not has nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's not me. It's like, so the I, and I can't help you here, is really trying to take the I, me, out of the whole thing and basically say, what are you doing? You know, it's like, it isn't about me. It's about what people choose for themselves and trying to bring to the world as many opportunities through interesting conversations with people, through therapeutic milieu, through different things. And, and hopefully there's access points for people to do something. But I'm real clear, it's their work all the time. It's someone else's work and I can't do that for them. Therefore, I can't help them. Well, right they on. can. They can. They right can help on, them. Right on, right on, yeah. right on. I couldn't agree more. You know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's that's why I said all of that about you know these kids having you know teams of professionals helping them out all the way through. Right. And um, I call it the transfer of responsibility. I yeah. have a term for it. Yeah. And I talk to parents about it, and I say, uh, you know, it's time to transfer the responsibility. Mm-hmm. For well-being to to your kid, yeah, you know, yeah, you, you've been doing it, we've been doing it, and and uh, it's, that's not my job, it's not your job, and exactly. And as a parent, you know, for me anyway, the the realization that's been helpful, I, I hope it's working sometimes, is that really the stumbling block is the intolerability of my own feelings. Yeah, I have a hard time when my child doesn't feel well, yeah. when they're sad, when they're frustrated when they procrastinated and they're trying to get something done. My own inability to feel my feelings with that is what gets in their way in my parenting. Yeah. Over and over again. You know what, Danny? That one's been a journey for me because, you know, being a good Jewish boy from New York, Jews like to say, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Right. Right, it's like the codependent <laughs> mantra, mantra. But there's there's truth in it as well. Codependent mantra. <laughs> well, well, the thing about it is that, like, it, you know, first of all, as a clinician, I could see how just incredibly unhealthy that is. Sure. Because if your happiness depends on your child's happiness, right. then what a burden for your child! Right. Oh my right. god! Right. right. I have to make me happy and my right. parent happy. Right. Oh my god! Right. So I better you not know. bring up anything. Yeah, exactly. It's just too you know. So forget it. I'm right. just going to lock myself in my room and right. smoke some pot. Um, <laughs> So that's too much. And um, as a parent, um, you know, something that I, gosh, I wish I could remember the term for it. Um, but uh, there's a term. I just recently learned it for the primal fear of separation from your from your family. Mm. You know, like when you're really, you know, it's abandonment. But there's another term. There's some kind of deep primal thing that happens Um and um, I think there's a real biological basis to that feeling. And as a father of kids who have deeply struggled, mm. um, I think there's just a biological basis to that. And that's like a that's another one of the both end. Right. Um, like that exists, and we're trying to do it in a different way. I think that I can... that bond that I feel with my kids and that that deep emotional. I think that's good in that. It's the bond, man. Yeah. It's it's needed, and I'm I, I've been really, you know, I'm very dialectic these days. I like to sit with both sides of things. It's, yeah. It's uh, it's as I get older, I like to believe that's me maturing. That I can both feel my deep, deep sadness, but at the same time detach and and, and release. So yeah. I'm I've been giving parents more permission to feel those feelings that nice. I used to. Nice. Um, but at the same time, trying to. 
and um, and I've just got turned on to a book uh, while talking about books, and I'm just starting called um, uh, Beyond Codependency, and they call it Prodependency or something oh, like cool. that. I don't know about it, but uh, yeah, I'll let you know once I really read it. But I think I it's going to tell me a little bit about what I just said that there's. There's two sides of this codependent thing, and there's nice. some healthy aspects to codependency. <laughs> I'm hoping because I'm right. Me too. Me too. We better be. We're screwed, Rob. Right. We're in trouble. Um, well, this has been awesome. I could go on for two hours. He's giving me the signal here that we need to wrap up. Um, that's Justin over there at the board. Say hi to the people, Justin. I forgot. Hello, everybody. And Lily's been in here in the studio. Lillard, Lillard Wilkinson mm-hmm. over here on the mic. Cool dog. We all did the whole thing without the new nickname. I know. I, yeah. I don't know how that worked out. We'll have to yeah. bring that back again. We got to have you back since you're local. We just because this. This is a great conversation. Yeah, you, with your permission, is, I'd like to do this a couple times a year. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And then we have, then we actually see each other too. So. Very enjoyable. Exactly. Yeah. So. And Crystal's here too, by the way. Hi. Hi. Crystal's <laughs> here in the studio, everybody. So it, it occurs to me to say, Danny, you know, listening to uh, the, your explanation of the name of this podcast, uh, we've had a very parallel uh, journey. You and I, you know, are similar age. We've come into the field in some similar ways and just I, I'm aware of our parallel journey. It's no wonder we feel very close to each other. Thank you, man. I appreciate that very much. And thanks for coming on. And you are three years older than me. I just want to make. <laughs> I said. See, I had to. I said know, similar. I just did. I, I just did what that, I do, but... which is that there's intimacy, and I love it, and it feels good. And then I crack a joke to push you away. So that's just that's how I roll, and I'm aware of it. And, and, and now I, you all out there. Thank no, you. No, Danny's patterns. <laughs> that's exactly go. it. Thank you for coming on. And Rob, My, if people want to find out a little bit more about your practice, you got a website or something they could look at? Northlightfamily.com. Northlightfamily.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the I Can't Help You podcast brought to you at the Made Life Studios. You're interested in finding out more. We are on Spotify at I Can't Help You podcast and Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what are <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the other outlets? I think MySpace. I think uh, yeah. we're on MySpace too. <laughs> MySpace, um, uh, AOL. Uh, anyway, the messenger. Anyway, yeah. So dial up your modem and then get in there and get the stuff. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. We sure appreciate it, and uh, we'll be back at you next time. Happy Thanksgiving. I know where we're going with this. Leave your body alone. Right? I don't know the words. Somebody must change. I like it. You are the reason. You are the reason I've been waiting on all these years. Somebody holds the key. Yeah. And I'm nearly in. I just ain't got the time. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs>